Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. We hope today's message encourages you. But before we get to that, we want to remind you, if you want to get connected to what God is doing here at our campus, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can give online, get connected to a live group, find links to our social media platforms, and a lot more. Just text Cersei to 88000 or visit newlifechurch.tv. Now get your Bible and note apps ready to go and prepare to hear a great message today. All right. Good morning, NLC Cersei. Look, so happy and honored to be able to be here with you guys today. Um, Pastor Rick, my dad, called me earlier this week and he said, man, we just, you got to go to Cersei. Relieve the people of Kevin for one week because they need it. It's, it's getting bad down there, so <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I'm just so honored, like I said, to be here. Y'all get ready. I'm a youth pastor, so I could say anything. Just it's going to be a weird day. And uh, so just hunker down, take some notes, and get ready to get into the word. But uh, honestly, I, I do want to honor our leaders here for a second because I think that you guys are blessed to be under Kevin. And I think we're blessed to have pastors uh, like Pastor Rick and Michelle Bizet, and um, when I think of them, and when we think of Pastor Rick and Michelle, I think it's easy for us to think of a big church, for us to think of 18 campuses, and all that God has done, and, and yes, I think that is amazing, but being their son, I think of way before that. I think of when we moved from Louisiana to Arkansas, and uh, the fear that they must have felt not knowing anybody, not knowing any families, uh, the fear of failure, and how they just pushed that fear aside and decided to just connect with God. And before they, they ever eagerly desired a big church, they eagerly desired to grow closer to God and for others to do the same. In fact, I think of the scripture when I think of mom and dad. That says, follow the way of love eagerly and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And I know this is true for my parents because I remember each morning walking downstairs and seeing my mom in her chair. She has this chair. And she would be in her chair and she'd have her devotional book in her left hand. And she'd have her Bible in her right hand, just eagerly desiring to hear a word from God about how to be a patient parent, about how to love our kids, her love her kids even better. And I remember my dad in his room on his hands and his knees before anything, eagerly desiring just to hear a word from God on what he should speak that weekend, what family he should go after, what man in the church was hurting. And I'm just so thankful that my parents taught us, taught us kids how to eagerly desire a relationship with him. And then through that as well, they've also been able to raise up some pretty awesome leaders. And so here we have Kevin and, and Robbie. And something I just love about Kevin, I'm able to be in, I get to sit in meetings with him sometimes and, and learn from him. And just how steady his attitude is. He's just a steady guy. He loves the same. He, he, he responds the same. You could call him with the craziest thing, and he's just going to have a steady response. Craig Woodson probably messes up weekly, and he just, he's just steady. He's like, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm steady. And so I'm just so thankful that you guys get to be under and learn some, from some steady and awesome leaders. And so, look, if you're thankful for our leadership here at the church, can we just do this and give them a round of applause before we head on? Amen. Come on. We are blessed. We are truly blessed. You know, speaking of attitudes, um, we're going to be talking about attitudes today. And, you know, right now, 2020 is a pretty crazy season. We're just trying to figure out timing on things. Um, I think a lot of people are concerned right now. What's, what's everything going to look like in the future? Emily and I, right now in this season, we're trying to have good attitudes. We're trying to figure out how to buy a home right now. We're heading into that season, and we're just trying to be patient. And I think we can all learn a lot from how to have, wor not worldly, but godly attitudes in this 
season. Uh, I think we would all say that we have pretty steady attitudes until at least that one thing triggers us. I'm talking about pet peeves here. I don't know what it is for you, but for my wife, Emily, I'm married to just the sweetest girl in the entire world. I always say that I wanted to marry the girl of my dreams, but that didn't happen because I never had dreams this good. She's that sweet. And all the ladies are like, oh, and all the guys are like, you're full of it. Get off here. So, but I'm, I'm serious, guys. I've married this, this, the sweetest girl in the entire world, and I love her to death. She makes me the man um, that I am today, and I know that. And, but there's one thing that bugs her, and it's because she's had to teach me over and over and over again how to do the dishes correctly. She'll tell me. She'll say, Tanner, we wash the dishes in the right side of the sink, and then once they're ready to be put in the dishwasher, we move them to the left side of the sink. And you'd think that she was having to teach a toddler because I just can't remember that. It just doesn't click with me. I don't know why. And so I'll mess up, and I know when I've messed up. And not a lot bothers her, but this does because she'll be in the kitchen, and she'll just start scrubbing the dishes like extra hard. Just like she just wants me to hear that I messed up. What, what triggers you? Maybe it's traffic. I don't know what traffic is like in Searcy. Maybe there's like a mad rush hour here. But as soon as you get in your car, maybe you just start to get tense. I've been watching a lot of road rage videos recently, and they always start with traffic. You might ask, Tanner, why are you watching road rage videos? It's probably not good for your spirit. Well, on TV, it's that right now or the news. And so road rage seems like the safer choice. So I decided to go with that. What, what triggers you? One time a student, a high school student, I'm a youth pastor, high school students like to play pranks. And so you guys can get an idea here because Craig is your youth pastor. So a student one time put a live chicken in my backyard, like a, a real life chicken. Now, I know how to deal with dead chicken. I, I eat dead chicken, but I've never really encountered a live chicken before. And I wake up one morning and I get my cup of coffee and I look out in the backyard and there it is, a chicken. We lock eyes and I'm just like, all right, it's about to go down. What is this chicken doing in my backyard? So I thought, I didn't really have a good plan. Like I didn't really know what my plan of action was. I was just gonna grab the chicken put it in my back seat, like maybe buckle it. I don't really know. What do you, what, it's just going to fly around my car. And so I was like, maybe I'll just take it to the nearest farm I can find, bring it to Chick-fil-A, save them a trip, you know. And so I go out here to get this chicken. Again, I've never encountered a live chicken. I didn't know how fast chickens actually are. I mean, this was probably one of the more athletic chickens that I've ever encountered in my entire life. This guy could run super fast. He could hop fences. I'm, I'm dead serious. And so he would hop fences, and I thought I got rid of him. But then every day, he'd find his way back into my yard like it was home. Like, I'm trying to kill this chicken, and he wants to, like, come in my backyard every single night. And he'd peck on my window each morning. I mean, what do you do? Call animal control? That's really embarrassing. Like, I can't get this chicken out of my backyard. And for three days, this chicken would ruin my week. What, what triggers you? Maybe there's silly things that trigger you, or maybe there's more serious things as well. On a more serious note, I had a friend recently who, who sat me down. And he said, we've been friends forever, like since we were seven years old. And this is last year he sat me down. So now fast forward, I'm 25 now. He sits me down and he says, Tanner, when, when we were young, you had a bad attitude toward me for like a whole season. You said some mean things to me. And I think it affected our relationship and actually kept me from being able to trust you. And to this day, I feel like we could have been better friends. But because of that attitude, that's what separated us. And, and we talked about it and we got through it. But man, attitudes can get the best of us. If you're taking notes, uh, like she said on that video, the title of today's talk is Attitude Determines Altitude. Attitude Determines Altitude. I've been doing a little study on planes recently. Uh, planes just interest me. I would love to be able to fly someday. That'd be really cool. But basically, um, attitude in a plane is the direction or the way that a nose of the plane is, is pointing. And so the attitude of a plane is relative to the direction in which the plane is heading. So if an attitude of a plane is headed up, the plane is heading 
up. Good job. And if it's, if it's pointed down, the plane is heading down. Awesome. Okay, so the same is true in our life. If we have a godly attitude, there's a good chance that in our life we're, we're heading up. We're heading towards awesome things. And if it's heading down, it's probably the opposite. Our attitude determines our altitude. And so this is what I want to do. I want to pray that we would have open hearts here today and that we would be able to dig into the word. And I think we're all going to walk away greater than we walked in. Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much. Jesus, I'm so thankful that, Lord, you gave me the opportunity to be able to be here today, hanging out with this Cersei crew. I pray that, Lord, you would speak through me and that, God, you would speak to everyone here. That, Lord, you would speak into our attitudes, show us where we can grow. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Okay, the definition of attitude. I'm a definition person. The definition of attitude is a sudden way of thinking about someone or something with a certain behavior. A lot of us have bad attitudes about Razorback football right now. This past week, they released the two new additions to Arkansas' schedule, Georgia and Florida. So it couldn't get any worse. I mean, already had the toughest schedule in the nation, and then they just add those two teams. Bad attitude. Another way is by looking at the position of a body um, implying a mental state. Like you can look at somebody, especially with high schoolers, if you're a parent, you can probably look at your kid and you're like, man, I know they have a bad attitude right now. Being up here, I can look around and I can see like certain attitudes that people have. I'm not gonna go around and do that. It's not because I'm special. We can all do that. You could sit up here right now and you could look across the room and see that the, the general consensus of attitude is that you're still wondering why Pastor Kevin isn't speaking this morning. You're like, why is this dude up here? I wanted a good word from a doctor, and I have a youth pastor instead talking to me right now. <laughs> You're stuck with me. I'm sorry about it. Attitudes come, come in clusters. Have you ever noticed that? You can walk into, like, a certain family and expect a certain attitude. You can walk into a certain restaurant and expect a certain attitude. Some restaurants are really excited when you walk in the door, and some restaurants are really excited when you walk out the door. You go to Chick-fil-A, and they have awesome attitudes, but they have great chicken as well, like the best chicken in the world. But if they didn't have good attitudes, we wouldn't even care that they had good chicken. And the same is true in our life. God might have a huge promise for you. God might have huge plans for your life. But if you have a bad attitude, you may never see that promise. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word conform in the Greek means to be identical to your surroundings, to adapt to your surroundings. It says, do not conform to the pattern or the attitudes of this world, but be transformed. That word transform means to be completely changed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So with that being said, I have a question for you guys as we get started here today. Do you think that you have a godly attitude or do you think that you have a worldly attitude? On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think you are? 1 being worldly, 10 being godly. Where do you stand? And uh, I don't want you just to rate yourself. I want you to imagine your spouse rating you or maybe your, your kids rating you or your parents or a teacher or a coworker, uh, any loved one. If they rated you on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you think you would get placed? Look, I know that 2020 has been a crazy year, and there's a lot of people who are discouraged right now. And as a pastor, it doesn't necessarily concern me when people get discouraged because I know they're going to get through it. It's biblical. People get discouraged. We're going to point them to the word, and they're going to get through it. What concerns me as a pastor is when people get discouraged, they lose hope, and then they lose their attitude. Because the scripture that we just read says that when we do not conform but we are transformed, we're able to see God's not just good and pleasing but perfect will. What if the one thing that was keeping you from receiving a prayer that you've been praying about forever, from receiving a promise, 
from receiving direction that God has in your life was a small attitude adjustment. Just imagine that. Our attitudes, you can't really underestimate the importance of them. John Maxwell, a, a, a leadership guru and author, writes a, a quote in one of his books this way, and it's, it's so powerful. He says, never underestimate the power of your attitude. It is our best friend or our worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It has an outward look based on past experiences. It is a thing which draws people to us or repels them, and that is absolutely true. It is never content until it is expressed. It is the librarian of our past. It's the speaker of our present, and it's the prophet of our future. I heard it said this way, that a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You're not going to get anywhere in life until you change it. And that is absolutely true. My family and I, we went on a, uh, an RV trip one time. It was the worst vacation we have ever taken in my entire life to this day. Like five years ago, we all packed an RV, eight of us, and started driving west. Now, I think an RV is a great investment for a retired couple. But eight people, that's probably six too many, okay? And so we hop in an RV, and we start driving west in the middle of the winter without checking the weather, okay? Now, how many Cajuns does it take to not check the weather and hope it's going to be a good trip? Well, fast forward to how that went. Three days later, we're stuck in Amarillo, Texas for the next three days, okay? Just stuck there because this winter storm, and I'm not making this up. I'm not nicknaming it. This was the name of the winter storm called Winter Storm Goliath, the size of Texas, just literally swarmed in Amarillo and kept us blocked there for three straight days. And it wasn't until the first night we realized that the heat in the RV at the front of the RV was broken, like where all the kids were sleeping, broken. It was zero degrees outside, and we're shivering. I wasn't married at this point, so I didn't have a cuddle buddy. All I had was my four-pound Yorkie, which does nothing for me. And uh, we realized that the heat in the back of the RV was actually still working. My, my parents, they, they love us, but they don't love us enough to be cold with us, so they shut the door. They shut it, totally. And I figured out the first night that if I crawled to the back and, and just, like, slid under like kind of like a crevice from the door. I could get like a little heat pocket that just kind of kept me warm all night. Worst trip of our lives. But we woke up the next morning and, and we joked and, and we decided to have good attitudes. And what's funny is it's probably the trip that to this day we joke more about, we have the most memories about, we, we talk more about. I, I want to give you guys a few truths about our attitudes here today. And uh, the first truth that I want to share with you guys is that we choose our attitudes. We choose our attitudes. There was this man named Viktor Frankl during World War II. He was a, a prisoner in, in a camp called Auschwitz. And, and a quick history lesson recap for everybody. Remember, the Nazis, they killed six million Jews in World War II. Crazy to even fathom how somebody could be as evil as to kill six million people. And they mainly did it in these concentration camps and through gas chambers. And one of those concentration camps was called Auschwitz. And they brought Viktor Frankl and his family there. And they killed his mother in front of him. His, his wife died. His brother died. And of his intermediate family, only he and his sister made it out alive. And they worked him tirelessly each day. They starved him. They tortured him. And in the middle of his worst circumstances, I literally cannot think of circumstances that are any worse. In the middle of those circumstances, he chose to have a positive attitude. And this is what he said in his journal. I choose to suffer with dignity. Regardless of what one of the Nazis do to me, I will never hate one of them. Now, is this a quote about suffering, about forgiveness, about attitude? 
man, I don't know, but this brother had a better attitude than I did. I'm telling you, give me a knife, let me cut a couple people, then we can talk about forgiveness, you know? And he just went straight for it. How do you have an attitude like that? I think you have to choose it, right? Deuteronomy 31.6 says, be strong. Look at this. Take courage. Don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Courage, in the second sentence, that's an attitude because we have the choice to take it. And the same is true with our attitudes daily. We have to choose our attitudes every single day that we wake up. My dad says from time to time that there's two kinds of birds. There's vultures who go around looking for dead things, and they find dead things. And there's hummingbirds who go around looking for sweet things, and they find sweet things. The same is true with our attitude. If we have a bad attitude and we look for bad things, guess what? We're going to find it. If we wake up and choose a good attitude and look for good things, the same is true. We're going to find it. We choose our attitudes. Number two, attitudes are not caused by people or circumstances. This is the second truth. Attitudes are not caused by people or circumstances. There's a lie that states, there's a lie, and it states if I had better circumstances, I would have a better attitude. If I had better circumstances, then, then I would be happy. But that's simply not true. You can't really connect that to reality, and, and here's why. Genesis, the book of Genesis, there's, there's two people, Adam and Eve. We know them as the, the first humans. Adam and Eve had perfect circumstances. Think about it. Perfect bodies, Live to be 900 years old, that's really old. If you're here and you're 900, then you probably look like Kevin Atkinson. That's, that's just really, that's old. And they lived to be 900. Think about it. The, the perfect circumstances. They didn't have to work. They just got to sit around and name animals and hang out with God all day. And in the middle of those circumstances, they chose bad attitudes. They chose to be selfish, to be curious. And God said, I don't want you to eat from one fruit. And they grew prideful. And they did it and messed it up for all of us because they had bad attitudes. When I get to heaven someday, I'm going to have a long talk with Adam and Eve about their attitudes. In fact, this whole sermon is for Adam and Eve. I mean, we could have lived in paradise at this point. Our attitudes, okay, are not defined by people or circumstances. Look at King David, for example, in the Old Testament. In the worst seasons of his life, he had the best attitude. And in the best seasons of his life, he had the worst attitude. He wrote half the book of Psalms in one of the toughest seasons of his life. He's being chased down by King Saul out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, and he's hiding in a cave, and he chooses to write the book of Psalms to help people get through tough times. In the worst season of his life, he chose to do that. Now, in the best season of his life, remember, he's king now. He's winning in war. He's winning in battle. He has money coming his way. And in that season, he sees Bathsheba, he commits adultery, and he murders his friend. So how can you really connect our circumstances to our attitude? Some of you in this room right now, you're, you're in the best season of your life, and you're making bad choices. While some of you, you're probably in the worst season of your life. In fact, you can't remember a season that's been worse. And God is trying to teach you in this season that you do not have to let the circumstance define your attitude, that he wants to give you an attitude that's a positive one. He wants to give you a godly attitude. He wants you to be transformed, like it says in Romans 12 too. People or circumstances do not define our attitude. Number three, happiness is a chosen attitude, not a state of being. Happiness is a chosen attitude. It's not a state of being. I love this quote by Dennis Quaitley. It says, happiness cannot be traveled to, owned, earned, worn, or consumed. 
Happiness is the spiritual experience of living every minute with love, grace, and gratitude. The enemy will tell you that once you travel somewhere, once you get something, once you consume it, obtain it, then you'll be happy. The truth is, if you're not happy now, you won't be happy then. And, and I know this is true because between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was entangled in, in so much sin that it left me in a place just shy of depression. I'm not going to compare it with depression because I know people who have gone through that, and it's, it's really, really tough. But I think I was probably just shy of that. And I remember the enemy lied to me and said, if you can just get back to college, if you can just get back to your fraternity, if you can just get back to your friends, if you can just get back to that same lifestyle of conforming to the world around you, you'll be happy. And I remember I listened to that lie, and I drove my way back up to my college, conformed back to that attitude, and I was happy for about two days. And then the happiness left, and I realized I was completely dry inside. Listen, the Bible says that sin is a blast for a season. But when you use sin to build happiness inside of your life, it has an expiration date on it. And eventually that happiness goes away. And y'all, I was so dry and miserable that I finally decided I didn't want to conform any longer. That I wanted to change. I wanted to be transformed. And when I chose that, it wasn't five months later that God replaced my happiness with joy. It wasn't even five weeks or five minutes. It was instantaneously that God put a joy inside my heart that superseded any kind of happiness or fake emotion I'd ever felt in my entire life. And it's still the joy of the Lord that wakes me up every single morning to this day. Listen to this. Joy is the reward you reap from choosing true transformation through Jesus. Joy is the reward you reap from choosing true transformation through Jesus. Can I get an amen? Number four, God rewards good attitudes and resists bad attitudes. All the parents are yanking their kids. You need to listen to this point right here. God rewards them. There's a scripture, um, and I think you're going to see this actually just isn't for the kids. This is for all of us because I think I'm disobedient to the Lord quite often. And James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now listen here, it does not say that God hates the proud, okay? I think we all have a little bit of pride in our life. Pride is what says, I know what's best for me, I'm going to choose what's best for me. We all have that sometimes, we can all agree. It does not say that God hates the proud. No, God loves the proud. I want you to listen to this. God is madly in love with you and there is nothing you can do to change that. In Psalm 59.10 it says that God's love is changeless for you. Okay, but somebody who pats your back on the way to destruction does not love you. So for that reason, God is going to show us when our attitudes have been off and get us back on track. Hebrews chapter 12 explains it perfectly. I want you to read this along with me. It says, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while they thought was best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That's important. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I can remember my bootay hurting for days after I got in trouble when I was a kid. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A quick story of how Rick Bezet uh, disciplined his kids when we were, when we were younger. Um, so dad had two types of cleanings for us. He had something called A cleanings 
and something called bee cleanings. And we would clean whenever we had company over. I think, you know, he said, if, if you're going to live under this house, you're going to have to clean. And I respect that. I get that. And so we would have company coming over that night, and he'd say, I need you to go do a bee cleaning in your room. And bee cleaning basically meant you just kind of, you know, put things back in their spot, make sure it looks good, you're good to go. It takes 10 minutes max. Well, he would tell us that, and sometimes we'd have a bad attitude because we'd be watching, you know, Nickelodeon, Sweet Life, Zack and Cody, whatever was cool at the time. We'd be watching the show, and so we'd give him like a little like, oh, whatever, Dad, I don't really want to, you know. And that's when he would look at us and say, okay, never mind. How about an A cleaning? Now, an A cleaning, on the other hand, was, man, you got to take everything out of your closet. You got to polish everything up, fold it, put it back in, vacuum, mop, sweep, dust. This was going to be like a two- or three-hour project. And, man, I wish I would have never had a bad attitude because when he switched it to that, it was awful. But listen, at one point in life, we began to actually understand the lesson, and then the discipline was over. The discipline was over at that point. I wish I would have learned that lesson really soon in life. Now, a seven-year-old would never have said this, but just imagine, had he told me, Tanner, I need you to go do a bee cleaning of your room. Yes, sir. Thank you, Dad, for reminding me to do that. I'm going to go do that, and then I want you to come check my work to make sure I did it right. Okay, no seven-year-old would have ever have done that, but man, I wish I would have. And it seems like a matter of immaturity that we wouldn't understand a lesson at that age, but the truth is God does this with us all the time. He'll look at us and he'll say, hey, I want you to go forgive that person. We'll say, but God, don't you know, don't you know what they did to me? I don't, I don't want to do that. But the scripture says something really important. And it's talking about how God doesn't want us to be spectators. He wants us to be warriors in his army. He wants us to rule and to reign with him. It says this, to share in his holiness. And so for that reason, he's going to train us up in righteousness. For that reason, he's going to ask us to do some pretty difficult things. For that reason, sometimes whenever we have a bad attitude, he's going to show us how we should have a good one. And when we do, guess what? He rewards us for it. That's my last point here today. Number five, great faith maintains a great attitude. Great faith maintains great attitude. Nudge your neighbor and say, man, great faith maintains great attitude. This is an important one to know because I think a lot of people in this room, you do have a good attitude. You do in life. You, you go about life and people look at you and look up to you because of the way you hold your head high. But how do you maintain that even through a really difficult season like we are in right now? How do you maintain that? It comes through great faith. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes from Acts chapter 7. One of the greatest stories of faith in the whole Bible. There's this man named Stephen. And we know Stephen is the first Christian martyr. This dude was the definition of transformed. His life, he was so transformed that he was going around preaching the good news to everybody around him by the way he walked, by the way he talked, by the way he preached. Listen, you don't have to be able to preach good in order to, to talk about Jesus. You can do it where you go to school. You can do it where you work. You can do it just by how you smile, even when it's through tough times. This man was totally transformed, and he began to spread the news of Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin got wind of it. Now, the Sanhedrin was ancient Israeli council, and they were trying to stop the spread of Jesus. Paul, before he became Paul, when he was Saul, he was part of the Sanhedrin, went around crucifying, killing, not crucifying, but killing Christians. This is the Sanhedrin, bad people, bad to the bone. Well, they catch wind that he's doing this, and so they call Stephen in to be, to be questioned, to be talked to. And you'd have thought in that moment, because he knows these people have the power to kill him, that maybe he would have stepped back in his faith just a little bit, not as, had as good of an attitude as he did have, but no, he does the complete opposite. He says, even in this moment of greatest tension, 
because of what God has done for me, I'm not going to let anything affect the way I'm going after Jesus. And he preaches this message to the Sanhedrin. Remember, these people had the power to kill him. He preaches this word to them. They get offended. They pull him out to the streets, and they begin to stone him. And he still didn't stop. And while they're stoning him, this man yells out, God, please don't hold their sins against them. And this is the coolest part of the scripture right here. It says in that moment, heaven opened. He could see heaven. He could see God sitting at his throne. And Jesus right next to him, but not like it says in all else scripture, not Jesus sitting, but Jesus standing at his throne. Jesus, it was almost as if he had gotten up out of his seat to get a better view of how he was changing the world around him through his attitude. Isn't it crazy to think that our attitudes can move Jesus, man? Let's bring this down to to a smaller level. Does your attitude, does it make other people stand up for Christ? Does it make people look to Jesus? Or does it make people look to you? Does it make people look the other way? Does heaven back your attitude? Will you bow your heads with me all across this place?